This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. Welcome to UC Santa Barbara. We have a fabulous community here of film lovers, and we heard lots of cheers that the film ended. It is such a beautiful film. Tell me, how did you come to this project, and... You know, how did you even begin to start thinking about how to represent ancient Dahomey for these important characters, this important story? I mean, I think I approach every project and process in an openness to discovery and, mm-hmm. and a critique of the things that we observe. Because in my experience... Mm-hmm. What we first stumble upon is, is the beginning of a thread that you pull into an answer that f- rings truer. And what I mean by that is when we go into 1823, we are pre-photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we are through the lens by and large by colonial entities. We have writings from French and English that had visited the kingdom. Uh, we have illustrations that are almost comically offensive that are for publications back in the countries of these colonialist entities Mm -hmm. uh, in service of an agenda. So if your agenda is to dehumanize people in order to justify in your eyes for your people the harshness and brutality of which you are inflicting upon them, the way you will depict them will toe that line. So I'd observe these images and, and know clearly that, that uh, they often were not even drawn by people that had visited the kingdom. Hmm. And you'd throw those in a pile. Hmm. And then you'd see additional images where you could see uh, an energy that felt as if someone was sitting and observing and drawing from that. And you put that in another pile. Hmm. And then once you'd separate these piles, you start to look for patterns. Can I observe in these backgrounds depictions of a world over and over again. And the more I observe that, the more confidence I get in it. Mm. Then I go to the journals. There was, back in this time, almost anthropological texts written uh, where everything is described. So pre-photography, you would write the description of every detail, from the thickness of the sandal mm. to the movement of, of a shoulder a pattern that you would see, you would write these things over and over. So if I could see a written description that painted a picture and then turn to my pile of illustrations, my period illustrations, I could vet what I'm seeing and seeing written with the the illustrations that I'm looking at. Then I take it another step further, which is in the early uh, 1900s, we start to get our own first photographs from the kingdom. And those photographs now will also show the pattern that I've been building on. So now I've got a pattern written, I've got a pattern illustrated, and I've got evidence of that pattern continuing in the form of a photograph. Uh, And then eventually dealing with people and listening to them tell you their stories, those traditions continue to exist. So through that, you start to feel what you could imagine and believe it actually looked like. Um, and oftentimes you'd move down a path with confidence uh, of something that you could imagine 
that pattern and that path leading you to, only to discover the evidence after the fact, but the evidence shows you that you've now captured the vibrations on a level that you had anticipated the next step, and that step was true. Hmm. So there's a beauty in that process of discovery that is, is, is exciting. It was a very long-winded... No! <laughs> I love it. You know, it's, it's exciting to talk to a production designer because these are things that, you know, I, I, this is one of those films that you really appreciate and you're looking at the detail. I was looking at everything from, you know, the shine on the actress's muscular skin and the way their hair was braided, the way that their um, clothes were tied to the sound to the rich set and I couldn't get over you know I think it's striking because we're not used to seeing actually the like a complete you know interior life of a black world including an African world at this period and you gave us such a sense of place, and I almost had an anxiety about it because I was worried about being, it being destroyed, which it ends up being in the future, <laughs> um, to this precious time. But I was drinking in like every crevice in the wall that you created. Oh, there's a shelf over there. Oh, that's interesting. It's a double shelf. Look what they use that for. Oh, this is a hole for light. This makes sense over here. Mm-hmm. And the sense of space that you created with columns, with, with texture, with um, the building materials. Can you talk about what it was like to build that, that palace? You started to talk about these, having to work off of these drawings and, and then the interpretation of the colonial gaze. Um, Tell us, tell us what it was like to kind of build the space and the kinds of things you thought about and brought to bear in that work. And just to catch people up to production design, yeah. what I like to say now is, because it's easier for people to understand, I feel like even my own family members aren't always clear about what it is that a production designer does. Mm-hmm. And it's simple to say, oh, they're a designer, but then you're like, well, what is that? You mean like an art director? Because art director mm-hmm. sounds easier. You're like, oh, they direct the art. Mm-hmm. I kind of get the understanding of that. So I would say, to make it clear, there are three key positions in a film. Oftentimes, the first one that starts, or always, is the director, but the first additional person that'll start Mm -hmm. will be the production designer. And the production designer, I like to call the director of design. So you have the director, you have Mm -hmm. the director of photography, that's the person that captures the light and records it on a Mm -hmm. camera, and then you have the director of design. And that's the person that designs the whole world that you're looking at. So in a period world, sometimes it's easier to understand what that is because you realize that none of that exists. But on any film you work, you, you watch, that is the case. That director of design, that production designer, has made choices to discover those locations that tell your story or has created a, a room that speaks to the child or the woman or the human or the man or the, the elder of the vibrations of the history of their life, mm. the story of a, of a water stain tells you about a human's interaction with their space. The paint that goes over the water stain because they're taking care of their space, but that water breaks through again, tells you a deeper story. That's someone taking care of their space, repeatedly painting over the same water stain. That's a story of love, <laughs> even though you have the hardship of the leak. So that is the amount of detail a good designer is 
embedding into the worlds that they create. That's the thought. That's the thought process that allows us to feel the vibrations of humanity through the environments that we, we find ourselves in. When we go into this, it's, it's crazy. It's immensive because you're like, where do I start? We yeah. don't, <laughs> we don't do have we enough. Start? Oops. It feels like we, you know, as we know in the Western world, we do not spend enough time appreciating spaces like this. So there's the burden of wanting to do justice by uh, the people that we're representing that, that deserve to be observed and respected and cherished and listened to um, and to honor that tradition, so to be aware and respectful of, of the things that people imagine about themselves and their history. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then there are the artifacts that we can dig into and the, the pieces of the culture that now exist in museums in Europe that we can access. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I love it. So I love the research. I love digging through, finding these patterns. Once we discover the patterns, we start to put the building blocks together. And then we develop the kingdom. There's depictions of the kingdom that I had found after doing my first pass of the kingdom and was like, Woo, we got it. And that's the most exciting thing because you're channeling a vibration. I said this before, but it's true because I'm passionate about it. You're channeling a vibration. When you get the vibration right, you can anticipate that creation. So I can now create through the lens of the materials of which we imagine they had and create something that, through the vetting process, proves to be correct. So even when we're doing sci-fi or something like that, imagine finding the vibration and the history of whatever you're digging through to create that future. And then doing it so right that your mm-hmm. patterns create a laptop in Star Trek Next Generation. And then you see laptops all over the place today. You create <laughs> an iPhone on Star Trek The Next Generation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our ability to believe and create is the thing that people turn to and the path that they follow in their creations from Steve Jobs to Bill Gates. I know that's a bigger thing, but that's the, the importance of feeling and touching the energy of human beings through their physical spaces. Uh, and so that's what we do. So now we put those pieces together. We start to create a first pass of the kingdom. One of the first things I did was create a whole map of how all the places you see in the film would have existed in proximity to each other and in proximity to Ouida. Um, and, and how we could imagine traversing to all those places, and then mm-hmm. what is the, the uh, and, and all of the elements of that. So, mm-hmm. Wida, for example, that was another can of pain and suffering and, mm-hmm. and interest. Uh, the palm plantation is, mm-hmm. is fascinating because that process that you just peek upon is... Uh, is a true process, of which is continued in parts of Africa today, Mm -hmm. Um, and a beautiful process. That earth, the cob, that material, Mm -hmm. that earthen material, I saw walls that were a thousand years old and still standing. Wow. That were fortified with, with the excretion of termites that has a waterproofing effect. That some wow. elder observed a termite mound not breaking down in a winter storm and realized that breaking it into pieces and mixing it with the cob was too hard because it was too strong. Hmm. So they took grains and put it on top of a termite mound. So when the termites ate the grains, they excreted. And that excretion had a waterproofing effect. 
So now we take those grains, we mix them with the cob, and you create these bricks, uh, earthen bricks that, that can weather a storm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Did you experiment with that process to see what, you know, how to approximate that kind of look with your own materials? That's the, the, mm-hmm. Those discoveries are the patterns mm-hmm. of which we will never do. Mm-hmm. Um, so our process of creation is seeing the outcome of, of those beautiful things, understanding the where and the why. And some of that instructs like when we see a wall, is it broken down near the bottom where the water interacts with it? So there's the story of the environment and how that degrades a space so we can observe those patterns. Um, but to do the process right, no. No, we don't, we don't get to, to have the joy of creation in that, <laughs> that way. It would be really cool. It would be cool. It would be experiment. But it's that joy of, of discovery that, mm-hmm. that gets us all excited. So people in my department, those are the things that get us excited. Mm-hmm. When I sit and talk with a scenic that's aging a wall, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a story. We're talking about the hint of green because that moisture crea- got moss that started to grow there. Right. And you might observe and say, I'm not sure why it doesn't feel right, but now you have to analyze it. So when you look at the other research and other pieces of reference, you discover a new pattern that you missed. Hmm. And all you had was the water stain when you were missing the moss. And I keep going back to that water stain as a metaphor, but uh, it's a way of which we look at the world hmm. that allows us insight. So you were very detail-oriented and wanted to be historically accurate as much as possible. Did you play a bit and have any room for like a kind of uh, fantastical aspect in the set at all? Um, or was there really kind of pressure to be as close as possible? And I'm just thinking about the kinds of ways that um, another film that showed a different kind of production design set in Africa, thinking about uh, Black Panther and Wakanda Forever that came had got a lot of attention for the design of spaces which were allowed to be much more futuristic, um, borrow from different aspects of African aesthetics and architecture to make this mishmash, uh, you know, imaginary Wakanda. But you were doing something very different that seems to me that you're expressing that there's a sense of responsibility to the history and the people of modern-day Benin um, to, to present what life was like at that moment in a very uh, you know, respectful and honest and accurate way. I think, I think to me, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So what I'm seeing is, is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and if you feel that, then you see it in all, in all of these things. So we do have an obligation to make a cinematic film. Mm-hmm. So some things will be adjusted to photograph well. So what you're trying to do is capture the energy that you feel in a cinematic way. So if you walk into a space and it makes you feel a certain way, but you photograph, mm-hmm. you take a picture of that space and you don't feel that, then you need to change the, the space in order to elicit the feeling of the space. Mm-hmm. So that is a value. Um, but the, the balance of, of accuracy, I think the heart is the thing that needs to be the most accurate. So in that film, we see for the first time, I think in a Western film, people sleeping on the floor with pride in a way that you do not question it. 
In my research, you discover that the best thing for your back is a hard surface. Sleeping on a floor is better for your back than a soft bed. We hurt ourselves with the choices we make now as a Western society. In a tall, straight chair like the one I'm sitting in now, that's worse for you than a short stool. Or sitting on the ground, we see people uh, interacting with their world in these ways in that mm-hmm. film. And that's not, it's not created in the form of spectacle in the movie. You just accept it. You just accept that that is a beautiful way to live your life. And I think that that's super important. How you carry things on your head keeps your spine straight. That is a beautiful way to carry. I see someone who weighs 70, 80, 90 pounds with 150 pounds of stuff on their head. And the ability to do that is a beautiful thing to watch. Um, And so those truths are super important. I think uh, when we create and we see that beauty, every glyph in the movie has importance and significance. Every shelf that you imagined has importance and significance. Our discovery of voodoo, how we, not our discovery of it, uh, but our rediscovery of the, it, of the practices that still continue to exist uh, in, in Benin today. But our honoring of it uh, uh, is the first time I've seen a depiction like that in, in Western world where you're not uh, projecting negativity on, on the spiritual practices of a different culture. You know, we're all familiar with how the depiction of voodoo has been yeah. uh, portrayed. Uh, and this time we get to honor, honor the beauty of that. In front of Naui's farmhouse, you see these mounds. And the mounds, Naui's farmhouse is fascinating, by the way. Yeah. That's a Tata Samba, which is these intricately, beautifully made farmhouses. But in front of each farmhouse, there are these mounds. And I had seen the mounds, but I wasn't sure what the purpose of the mounds were. There's also voodoo sculptures and that represent different things. I came to understand in Benin that inside each mound was a sculpture. The way you activate the sculpture is by reconnecting it with the earth. And I really love that because in Western culture, we take spectacle and show the world this is our possession. And people even travel there and buy those sculptures to put on their wall as a possession of spectacle. But in spiritual practice, the value of it is to reconnect it with the earth. So you bury it and you charge it. You are not decorating for decoration's sake, but you are allowing the energy of that creation to connect with the earth around you. So those practices and those principles, you know, I was a a kid um, just being taught and, and doing my best to listen to a tradition of these elders that is so beautiful uh, and, and, and much of which I think uh, we would benefit greatly from, from observing and reconnecting with. Mm, beautiful. I want to ask about the, you know, this film really shows black women in complex ways that are really, for me, really moving, really stunning. I felt really emotional watching the film. Um, found myself cheering, crying, going through a lot of the emotions. Um, the, 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 the design that you've created around these characters and how they move around the space, um, I think facilitates that emotional journey for the viewer. Could you talk about 
how you thought about this film as presenting black women characters and how you designed for them. Well, Gina is a force. Gina Prince Blythewood the director. is, is the, our, our beautiful leader and an incredible mind. She's been in the game for, for a long time. Hmm. I think her, one of her first jobs was, was a, as a writer for A Different World. So uh, mm -hmm. she's a legend in her own right. And she uh, was the force of, of strength for us all and the clarity of vision. And one of the things, one of many beautiful things that she did with that film was shine a light and mm -hmm. center around black women, which shouldn't be so revelatory. It's only <laughs> revelatory because it does not happen enough. That's right. But to watch beautiful, strong black women assert mm -hmm. themselves through all the diversity of the different types of women that we see who all share a complexion but are very different from each other and yet love each other and come together in humanity and beauty and complexity uh, to, to, to live and love. Uh, and is, is beautiful. I remember... Um, we were shooting, and, and it started to rain. And we had all the background out in the middle of the kingdom. And uh, in the middle of the rain, all of the background who were playing a goji started to dance in the rain. Mm. And, and all of these background were African people. And they started to just f love the rain. And while the mm. AD department tried to usher them out of the rain, they just danced and danced. Wow. And Gina was watching that. And she realized that, that that celebration of life and love and movement uh, was important. And so those moments in the film in which you see that were strengthened by those real-life moments in which we were watching people interconnect and celebrate in that manner. So Gina's ability to, to observe and to see and respect and shine a light on uh, was was cherished by us and uh, and was important. I think um, that's part of what makes me so frustrated about <laughs> about um, Hollywood and the um, the lack of attention or um, you know celebration of black women directors is striking. There's never been a black woman director win the, at the Oscars. Um, and many people were very frustrated that, you know, this film particularly didn't see major nominations. Um, you know, uh, the hashtag is Oscar So White that came out years ago, and it's still useful. Um, I think that, you know, that's part of the frustration is that, that the, on my part as a film scholar is not being able to see enough of those kind of complex representations of black life, including black women, men, queer people. I was happy to see, you know, a range of characters represented there and also other kinds of representations of black manhood. Um, I think that we've been really tied and confined in terms of how uh, men are represented. I also think it's interesting that like white people are so marginal in this film. There's kind of um, just very much black um, um, background characters, except for this one Portuguese man who, um, you know, we, we love to hate him and glad to see him go. Um, 
you know, it, it, was it interesting to be part, you know, in, given your uh, background work in a film that really displaced whiteness and, you know, worked at really rethinking representation and, uh, you know, as it is often tropes in Hollywood and black film history, we've seen so many tropes repeated again. And sometimes when we make our own films, we end up being attached to some of the same narrow presentations. I think there is something really big mm -hmm. and beautiful about this film in that regard. Mm -hmm. Because we often get stuck in recycling the stories, oftentimes the stories of pain and suffering, mm -hmm. the same stories over and over again, yeah. and centering around the same things over and over again. And, and to make a simple shift where you say, this story is about strength. All the other things remain true. The Dahomey Kingdom was complex. They were slavers. These are not holy good people. The Greek people were not holy good people. The Roman people, one-third to half of the population was slaves. I was just in Rome. They, uh, in Rome, the historian who was guiding me, I asked him about the slave system there, and he said the average age of a slave in Rome was 17 and a half years old. Mm. So these were children. Everybody's history is complex, and that is a portion of it. And then in addition to that, there is beauty and love and companionship and all the things we see in that film. I think that is special and brave mm. to decide that we're going to observe a complex history of strong and still observe the strength and the beauty and the love of, the, of those people. Um, but, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I think we are accustomed to seeing the same depictions over and over again and so starved for strength yeah. that when we see something like this, hmm. you know, it feels so fresh and beautiful to know, to be reaffirmed of the thing we already know, that these women we just saw are beautiful and complex and collaborators on a system of which is, is wrong. Uh, and I think as Americans, we uh, can mm. observe some of those things in ourselves, for sure. That's really um, interesting to think about, you know, the fact that a major Hollywood film was so decolonial <laughs> in its framework um, and pushing back against these, these things. And I also think it's, as you're saying, a lot of the, um, the work has been on, you know, U.S. American imaginings of slavery and usually around a central character who is a slave who's trying to... Um, you know, emerge out of that. That's usually, you know, where we often go. Of course, thinking about Birth of a Nation as like the ma the first major, you know, film in history, like with complex editing, was one that went to that very same story. This is an American, not just like a black film thing, but an American film thing, to return to these sites of like trauma and particularly the one of slavery. And I think um, this, you know, going to Africa as a, as a diasporic gesture to think about how the story expands, um, it crosses oceans, it's also transnational, it's, it involves Brazil, which actually had, you know, multiple times the population of slaves, you know, that more than 5 million slaves were exported to Brazil, for example, um, much more than double than the United States. So this is a, a global story, and it's also, in terms of Hollywood, a, a foundational 
issue that's usually been warped. So I'm glad to see, you know, the seriousness and the care in which you brought to your craft. And this makes me want to shift and ask you, how did you become a production designer? How does one become a production designer? And what was your journey to... Well, before I answer that, that, I will I will contextualize the movie a little bit. So when we find okay. when we when we're watching the film, the 1823, at that point, slavery had been outlawed in most European countries. So the sure. guy we see who's coming and participating in the slave trade is mm-hmm. Brazilian, Portuguese Brazilian. They didn't outlaw until the 1880s. Yeah, so Brazil is still mm-hmm. practicing the slave trade through mm-hmm. a guy who still has a huge lineage in Benin, a guy named D'Souza. Another mm-hmm. Portuguese Brazilian man who lived in Benin on, in the coast on the coast of Ouida. Um So, yeah, just wanted to put that in there because yeah. part of what I'm saying in that history and when I'm discovering things, that's what I discover is on one page you'd have a negative depiction of Dahomey written by English visitors, but then if you fast forward to the abolition of slavery in England. Now the focus has shifted, and the focus has shifted to these people have great resources. How great are they to work with? So then when that shift happens, look how great their roads are. Hmm. Look how benevolent these people are. Look how tolerable their food is. Look how, you know, so mm-hmm. you're watching the version of history and depiction of human beings shift to align with whatever the agenda is that's, that's being sold or propagated back home. Um, but for production design, I think... Mm-hmm. you probably see in me, you know, a great interest in in our world building. And so having that, however you come across that, and you'll find production designers mm-hmm. with very, very different stories, but all the stories are, in, are a gathering of information to satiate that interest. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, I went to film school but I don't feel like it was clear to me in undergraduate work what, what a production designer was or the importance of that. I think we all stand in line of like arguing about who's going to be the producer or the director or the cinematographer and then somebody getting left with editor. Uh, <laughs> and you forget that there's more to creating a world than that. And fascinating that we forget the world that in that conversation, the thing we would live out is the damn world that you're supposed to be in doing all this. Yeah. Um, so we do take that for granted, <laughs> the world building yeah. that you're so key for. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, been in, I've been in situations where people are keep repeatedly asking, well, how did you find that location? Mm-hmm. And you know, you could answer that by saying, well, that location was in South Africa and we were recreating Western Africa there. But you know mm-hmm. what they're actually saying is, where did you find that kingdom? And you're like, well, we didn't find the kingdom. We made, we made the kingdom. Uh, but for me, I went through a, a lot of living in Brooklyn and living in New York and, and, and getting by on top ramen and, and canned beans and, and enjoying yep. my life. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Some amen corners over there. There it is. <laughs> but you just loved... And when I reflect on that time, I was, I'm not more happy now. You just love what where you are and enjoy the path long enough that the path takes you somewhere. So in the process mm-hmm. of that, I worked in wood shops and I, and, I, and I designed auctions at Christie's Auction House and I did storefront window displays on 57th Street mm-hmm. and designed those windows and took Mont Blanc spray painted 
rocks gold and, and took Mont Blanc pins and elegantly figured out how they were best displayed on this micro level, observing design and, and creation. Um, and then eventually a producer friend of mine, I'd actually given her her first job as a PA many years before. And she was returning to New York to do a photo shoot. And she's like, you know, you do the window displays, you're basically building a set. Come build a set for the photo shoot. I said, sure. That's small scale world building. Did a bunch of photo shoots and and then that led to commercials and commercials led to, to... all the things that I do now. Um, So I say it found me. Mm -hmm. And I kind of begrudgingly went back into the industry because I had decided the industry was not for me. At the time that I started in the industry, there was no diversity in the industry. You know, all the years prior to moving to New York, I worked in Los Angeles, and I did not have anybody to look at and say, that's proof of concept, that's... Seeing that person means that I can belong here. I didn't have access to that. With a couple exceptions, Johnny Simmons, who's also a professor at UCLA and a cinematographer, you know, he was one a few. Malik Saeed, another incredible cinematographer. Mm-hmm. So uh, Arthur Jaffa, another incredible mm-hmm. cinematographer. And then, of course, the legendary Wynn Thomas, who is the first black production designer. He was the production designer of Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X. Wow. Um, And so there were a handful of people, but literally the people I'm naming were all of the people. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit better now. It's not much better. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I begrudgingly went back into the industry with an understanding of the thing that I felt like I could control, which was art department so I, I could control it in the way that I could create a world of which could have me there I could create my own proof of concept I could inhabit a space and surround myself with people that were diverse and appreciated diversity um, and so we've made some progress but but it is a path What's being done to increase diversity behind the scenes in the, the craft, art, trades, um, you know, for film now? I mean, there's a lot of discussion about inclusion writers and commitments to diversity. But interestingly, you know, there's also this backlash against diversity across the country and inclusion. We saw in Texas, actually, uh, moves recently at the University of Texas to dismantle DEI. I'm wondering, is there is there still... A, a lot of resistance uh, to, you know, bringing people of color, BIPOC folks, into these traits and to these spaces to work with you? Um, uh, yes. So I would say a lot of change mm-hmm. has been made. And, and it's, mm-hmm. we were definitely heading down the right path. But we'll see yeah. if apathy sets in. Mm-hmm. So we had a cultural movement the biggest protests in the history of the world, to my understanding, were mm-hmm. unified protests of black BLM supporters all over this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a beautiful thing. And people listen to that. We live in a system that responds to money and viewership. Mm-hmm. And so we do have power. Uh, and people saw that power being exercised and they adjusted the system very, very quickly to show progress to the wants and needs of those people. But if we get complacent 
and we get too tired to participate and the little that people were doing like changing their black their boxes on Instagram to black <laughs> they can't even be bothered to do that or whatever the thing that might be demanded of us to show that we have allegiance with some version of change if we get so complacent we do nothing i i do not trust that even the little progress that we've made will be sustained um so you know we stay vigilant and mm-hmm. and ideally we continue the change that we've seen and and we grow it and when i talk about diversity for for me i my crews are diverse and so that is important to me is accessing true diversity so i'm not talking about just a people or one person i'm talking about mm. a diverse group of human beings and i'm not mm. talking about just race i'm talking about socioeconomic history where do you come from in the country do you not come from this country are you an immigrant or are you from here like mm-hmm. give me a world give me a whole room full of people that look like the world and i'll be a happy person and i'll be learning the most in that space which is important to what it is that i do that's fabulous yeah for that world building we need a lot of different views of the world and i'm glad that you said that about thinking about diversity more broadly um this is part of the argument that we make in feminist studies and film studies here that you know we we need to look at every kind of view every kind of cinema every kind of perspective including the ones that aren't taken seriously or you know looked down upon um you know from fan fiction to porn to all kinds of cinema i could ask you a million questions i wish we could keep you but we have to let you go and then you're back to another set tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Uh let's thank Akeem McKenzie warmly from Santa Barbara. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.com.